recording again? Sink. 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 Hello and welcome to Comics Over Time, a podcast where we take a trip through the history of Marvel Comics with a focus on some of the important and interesting comic stories that inspired the Hollywood blockbusters of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Every two weeks, we take a look at a batch of comics and then watch the related MCU movie or TV show. And after we're done, we connect the dots from the comic book panels to the moving pictures and try and answer the most important of questions, who told the tale best? The books or the screen adaptation? My name is Dwayne, and with me, as always, is my good buddy Dan. Dan, welcome. Hello. How's it going? Hey. How's it going yourself there, Dwayne? Uh, good, to, good to be with you with all you listeners out there. It has been a fun day for me. Just finished up re-watching Guardians of the Galaxy earlier today with my family. Everybody in the family loves this movie. It's so much fun. So that's, that's where we're going. We looked at last week the Guardians of the Galaxy comic books from a number of different runs uh, in the earlier 2000s. Uh, and now... Tonight we're going to look at the Guardians of the Galaxy movie from 2014 in all of its crazy glory. So, you ready for this? I, I definitely am. We're going to talk a little bit of comic book news before we jump in and talk about the movie. And Friday, Friday night, our, our good friend Mo messaged messaged the, uh, the Twitter account and said, I'm sure you guys are going to talk about this, and it is... A new Avengers run starting this May, written by everybody's favorite, I think, current Marvel writer, and who seems to be writing everything, Jed McKay. Did you you had Absolutely. to have seen this, right? Oh yeah, I, I've been following quite a lot of like um, Jed's like Twitter account where he's you know sort of promoting his new stuff and everything, and. I think a lot of folks saw this coming when he did like some of the, you know, the, the bigger books from last year and stuff like that. The, there is a hit to this on my side, and that is that he's been doing the Magic, the Gathering comics over at, I think it's Boom for a long time. And it, he's passing the torch off yeah. of somebody else on those to take this on. Mm -hmm. But there you go. So, yes, I'm going to be buying Avengers for the first time in heaven knows how long. <laughs> and uh, sort of wherever Jed goes, uh, we will follow. So, yes, they they call uh, in the Marvel uh, article that we will link in the notes. It calls him superstar writer Jed McKay and Marvel Stormbreaker artist C.F. Villa will take the reins of Earth's mightiest heroes in a new run of the Avengers just in time for the team's 60th anniversary. So I, I actually saw a tweet from him like later in the day on I think it was Friday where he basically said that after this had come out that he had been messaged on social media by like hundreds of comic book uh, know-it-alls that had specific suggestions on who should be on the team and all this sort of thing and, and making, make, you know, telling him how to do his job basically and, and, and how, how much he appreciated that. That is what comic book fans do: is uh, <laughs> yes. hang out and try to give suggestions. Yeah, him and him and Villa have done stuff before too. They did the Black Cat series last year, which was a lot of fun. So they've got experience together. I think 
it's very promising. There is a part of me that actually would have loved it if they'd have tried to reboot the the much sort of beloved and maligned West Coast Avengers team because he's been playing with a lot of those characters for a long time and right. brought back Moon Knight and Tigra and all the other uh, all the other folks for that. But this is going to be a lot of fun. You know, and, and after doing like the timeless stuff last year and everything, he is definitely somebody who's who's ready to take on one of these big books and I'm looking forward to it. In, in case you're wondering, the article does go on to tell us who is going to be in the lineup for this new Avengers series. It says that uh, the all-new Avengers lineup led by Captain Marvel that includes Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, Black Panther, Scarlet Witch, and Vision. So, uh, seems like a pretty good team. And there is... In the article, there is a uh, cover for issue number one of that series that looks looks pretty great, if I do say so myself. So, uh, if you're if you're excited about that, May seventeenth is when that is going to be hitting the uh, hitting your local comic book store. So you can look out for that. There's no Hawkeyes or Wasps on this. Basically, it's it's no. literally like heavy hitters. Pretty much the A team of and and they're all usually the leader of the Avengers these days when they're on there. Because Black Panther has been the leader of the team. Captain America, of course, was usually the leader of the team. Iron Man has been. I believe Vision has been. Uh, Scarlet Witch, of course, one of the most powerful people in the Marvel Universe. So, yeah. Right. They're going to have to have some bad things happen to uh, make it reasonable to have this team wandering off after them. So, The other news story that I... that I think needs to at least be mentioned is actually has to do with Amazon's Comixology, which was hit with some major layoffs uh, at middle to end of last week. Uh, The Amazon-owned company let go a sizable portion of the Comixology staff with with some former employees guessing it to be anywhere from 50 to 75% of the workforce behind the once thriving digital comics platform. Uh, that is that is rough stuff to hear. Yeah, this has been kind of a disaster for the, especially the, the mid-market and small market comic publishers and folks who like to, you know, have that ability to do sort of like small self-publishing and everything. Comixology was really a very cool environment. And when you hear from the people who were let go or some of the people who worked there, you know, it was kind of a labor of love by people who were comic fans. Yeah. And when it got bought, and this seems to happen so often these days, Amazon bought this. Maybe they thought they could somehow integrate it into Kindle and they'd do something or they would learn from it. But it appeared that from the very beginning, their goal was to sort of take this thing, absorb it into the Borg and make it so that Comixology as we knew it was no more. They were obviously not interested in continuing to support it. And it's really unfortunate, though, because a lot of people bought a lot of comics there. Many of them are having trouble even finding them in Amazon. This is this is bad. Now, there are some other comics marketplaces out there that are, are starting to come up, but we've got, we've got problems to deal with as far as the... Uh, the digital markets because we're in, in danger of having those same 
weird gated communities that we have now for streaming services where you got to yeah. buy your Marvel service and you got to buy and, you know, all different passwords, different apps. Comixology, what was nice was you could get everything in one place, have your library there, buy really, you know, either the big stuff or small things. Um, it's it's a tragedy for the uh, the comics community as a whole that this got bought by Amazon and then dismantled. All right, and with that, that's going to do it for comic book news. Let's jump in and let's talk about the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. And this is going to be your spoiler warning, despite the fact this is a movie from way back in, in 2014. As usual, we're going to be talking about a lot of the characters. We're going to be talking a lot of the plot points and everything like that. So if this is a movie you have not seen or want to see it again before listening to this discussion... Please stop the recording now, watch Guardians of the Galaxy, and come back and, and listen to, to our discussion then at that point. All right, Dwayne. So as we usually do, you start us out with some uh, film facts and get us a little bit of a, a recap on the movie. What do you got for us this week? Yes, the film facts for Guardians of the Galaxy. First of all, it's tagline. You're welcome. I, I love that. Uh, this movie was released August 1st, 2014. It has a runtime of 121 minutes. That's two hours and one minute. It had a worldwide box office take of 772, just short of actually $773 million. And domestically, it uh, brought in just over three hundred. million and $33,000 on an original movie budget of $170 million that Disney in January 2015 revealed that it came in over budget at $232 million. So still a pretty good take on, on that investment. Uh, on IMDb, its rating is an 8 out of 10. The movie stars Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, Dave Batista, Lee Pace, Michael Rooker, Vin Diesel, and Bradley Cooper. It is directed by James Gunn, with the screenplay credit going to James Gunn and Nicole Perlman. So that are those are your film facts for Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume One, as it as it is now known. Dan, can you give Absolutely. us a uh, a two minute ish? recap on the film for those who haven't watched it recently guardian starts on on a sad note with a young peter quill at the side of his mom as she passes away from cancer the action starts almost immediately after though as peter runs out of the hospital trying to get away from his mother's deathbed he's abducted by an alien spaceship and whisked away to the stars at that point, we get the Marvel logo, and we rejoin Quill 20-some years later when he's an adventurer out trying to find a valuable artifact on a deserted planet. He finds the artifact, escapes from some piratey-type folks who try to take it away from him, and eventually ends up taking it to the world of Xandar, where he attempts to sell it, and in the process ends up in a fight with a green girl and a raccoon, and a massive tree. 
All of them destroy some property and get arrested and are sent off to the prison world called the Kiln. At the prison, they meet up with Drax, who attempts to kill Gamora because of her previous association with Ronan, who'd killed Drax's wife and daughter. Eventually, they escape the Kiln through a daring plan concocted by Rocket and find their way to nowhere. Once they get there, they settle in and cause some trouble, as they're wont to do, while Drax decides that the best thing he can do is actually call directly to the enemy army and bring them down upon them so that he can actually have his chance to fight Ronan directly. They find the Collector, give him the orb, everything seems to blow up, Ronan arrives and takes out a good part of the planet and steals the orb. So once Ronan has the orb, the, uh, orb back, and now that he knows it's an Infinity Stone, he decides not to give it to Thanos, slaps it into his big axe, and decides, or not axe, I guess a hammer, and decides to just take off to Xandar and kill them all himself instead of going through a middleman, right? Everyone then meets up at Xandar where the Ravagers and Novacore try to stop Ronan's Dark Aster as it crashes to Earth. The Guardians are also invading the ship to face off against Ronan. Nebula fights Gamora. Rocket's Hadron Enforcer weapon is aimed at Ronan but isn't quite enough. Groot ends up growing himself into a little tree ball to protect everyone as the thing crashes into the Earth. And Peter then tries to settle things with Ronan with a dance Ronan with a dance off, distracting him long enough that Rocket can blow up his hammer. They jump for the stone. Peter gets it. The Guardians sort of join together to hold on to the stone and control it. Peter uses it to kill Ronan. And in relatively short order, they've saved the day, their ship is rebuilt, and they fly off for some new adventures. A little bit of good, a little bit of bad, a little bit of both, as they say. Man, this was a fun movie. It, it is. This is, I think... I don't think there's a better explanation and a better compliment to this movie than it is a popcorn film. It is a fun, just escapism sort of movie that you just sort of just sit back and enjoy. And it can be crazy. It can be funny. It can be action packed. It could be all those things at various points. And in fact, at some of those points, it feels like it's all of those things like the escape from the kiln <laughs> and uh it 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 just it just works though and it is it is amazing how well it works actually it's one of those stories that it is essentially the story of a bunch of loners who come together as a family and then somehow manage to save the universe right so at its at its core it's a simple plan but because you do have all of those personalities in that building, there's a lot of heart in it. The characters themselves are given a lot of space to, to do goofy things, so there's a lot of fun in it. And the action and the like is actually kept snappy enough that it never really becomes anything that you think too much about. You just enjoy it. So there's a lot of violence and a lot of destruction going on, but they don't really, they don't really dwell on it. Yeah, and it doesn't like extend for a great amount of time. Like we talked about, the mm -hmm. end of of Winter Soldier has this giant thirty minute battle at the end of the film, 
and and nothing feels like that even the big kind of fight against the dark aster as it's you know preparing to try and land mm-hmm. on xandar so that that ronin can can basically destroy the planet he he has what we find out is one of the infinity stones it looks like the power stone if if i'm understanding it correctly and he and all he basically has to do is touch the hammer with the infinity stone in it to the ground and it'll basically destroy the entire planet which is which is his goal Mm -hmm. but but that whole sequence is just it's like it ends up taking probably 15 20 minutes but it doesn't necessarily feel all that long well and the interesting thing is when you talk about what the real sort of like big final battle is actually the the sort of dance off after the crash of the, the dance so the dance it's off about, is so ridiculous. It's about 10 minutes or so of you know the the various planes fighting and all that sort of stuff but right it's very unusual in terms of a marvel movie that the actual final resolution and the destruction of the villain and everything else occurs kind of more at a, a conversational and sort of, you know, almost like that that moment where they distract him and the like, and then everybody's banding together. There's not an actual fight going on so much as it is the Guardians having to control the stone to be able to use sure. it, which is a little weird. It, yeah. It's different than the resolution of a lot of the Marvel films that we've seen. So, so you want, so let's, let's jump in and let's, take a step back from the ending maybe and let's let's go back towards more of the beginning and maybe kind of the introduction of these characters because you 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 talked about the fact that they were brilliantly engineered through a combination of exposition monologuing the the booking scene when they get arrested in Xandar and and like John C Riley's you know character is basically explaining who each one of these people are and you're you see like their mugshot basically getting taken it mm-hmm. is kind of the introduction of all these characters we we don't really necessarily know who they are until that i mean you kind of you get a little bit of an idea of where peter's from because we see him as a kid and and then he gets you know abducted and then he has the big uh fight scene in in morag but but we don't really know who gamora is we don't really know who rocket is we don't really know who groot is they all end up on xandar fighting to try and basically uh apprehend peter because the ravagers have put a bounty on his head because he went to morag and took took the 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 sphere that had the infinity stone in it and uh yandu wants that back so, you know, it, it's and and Thanos obviously sent Gamora because he wants the Infinity Stone as well. So they're all all there. But we don't really know necessarily the characters that well until that 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 scene kind of basically adds a lot of depth to the characters. Yeah. And. I think it was interesting because compared to any character that the MCU had really brought in or main characters, you know, if, if nothing else, 
you had people like me who were going to tell you who Captain America was if you needed, who could tell you who Black Widow was. We didn't really need to have introductions for the Hulk or Thor or anything like that. This movie was really a test balloon for just how far you could take comic book characters from the MCU. Because nobody in the greater world knew who these characters were. And that, that booking scene is absolutely brilliant in the way that they've got all of this exposition in there. They've got little digital stuff, you know, we all went to it, when it first came out, I went to it probably three times, and one of the things was, as you went trying to read through and actually see some of that text for yep. the race yep. and the other stuff and everything else, but they packed a ton of information in there, and yet it was super entertaining, and it not only told you who they were, but it showed you who they were by the stuff they were doing while they were being, and it's just a fantastic amount of information uh -huh. being transmitted in a way that people still loved so i think that's still one of the best individual scenes in the mcu because uh, it just defined the guardians right out of the gate uh and I, then I, and then drax similarly we had kind of that same thing later on where he comes in and tries to kill gamora and we get that scene where we learn a little bit of his backstory and everything else but yeah well while Dan was explaining that, I was doing the the uh, the Star Lord raise my middle finger up like he did in the uh, in the mugshot scene, which apparently was an ad lib by Chris Pratt that ended up in the film because it it's so perfect for the characters. There is definitely like when when we're watching the film, there are a number of times where you're just like, man. Star-Lord is just, he is just a, a terrible person in some ways. Yes. You know, he's just, he's just a, he's a complete dick to the woman who's riding with him when they first start the movie. And he's kind of, but, but nonetheless, they all kind of come together to where by the end, you really, you really like them all. And, and I think that a lot of it comes to, from how well they're set up. It's also interesting how much leeway we've given the guardians in terms of we still don't have an origin story for for Groot we still don't have an origin story for Rocket we have seen Gamora's backstory we haven't really seen Drax's backstory or other people from his planet or anything like that so these characters still haven't been explored that much but these initial scenes drew them well enough that it was enough so it's interesting i found a note uh where james gunn was talking about the character introductions and he said that that was actually one of the hardest things to crack is how how they were going to introduce these characters who were by and large new to the 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 movie going audience that was going to potentially see this film and and actually thanos's introduction being the most difficult one he said that you know, Thanos' introduction in this movie was for the betterment of the MCU and not necessarily for the Guardians of the Galaxy movie that he was making. Yet he still wanted to have Thanos in the film. 
but he didn't want him to like take away from Ronan being the central bad guy for the for this film. So, you know, in fact, he, he talks about the fact that, you know, when we see Thanos for the first time, when Ronan goes to Thanos and they're talking and that Ronan ends up killing one of his other advisors that's there on that little like platform thing that they're on uh, just to kind of show, hey, Ronan is the bad guy here. Thanos may be kind of the the big, big bad that but you don't have to necessarily worry about him right now. You need to worry about the guy that's immediately in front of you. So I, I thought that was, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. I, and that is introducing a, a bigger bad and essentially making the guy who's the villain of your story, almost like a lackey of somebody else really I, is, is not an optimal way to build a villain, you know? Because you're not actually having your Guardians of the Galaxy face the big threat. You're having them face some other threat, you know? So, yeah, I think they handled it really well. And, and later on when you have, when, when Ronan gets the stone and realizes what it is and that basically tells off Thanos, I, I think also helps then too to kind of separate, hey, yeah, he may be bad. You may have to worry about him at some point, but right yep. now you got to worry about the guy who's in the giant mausoleum-looking thing heading towards the planet to try and blow it up. Right. Once he gets the stone, he becomes a much bigger bad. So yep. yes, yes, absolutely. So so let's go in with what I, I want to talk about some of the the actors and and actresses themselves because I you know they call they call them. They called the characters jackasses and assholes throughout this film, which I think is hilarious. But one of the things, it, it really felt like everyone just sort of was perfect for the role they ended up in. And 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 by doing some research on this movie, it does feel like a lot of them, like this was something they really wanted, the, the role they ended up getting and playing. And I think it ends up showing in the final product just how how well it works we have we have chris pratt who obviously is playing playing peter quill he he ended up having to go on a strict diet and lose 50 pounds before he could play star lord and have the the physical physique that that the character should have and in fact ended up losing 60 pounds as a result of the the diet and exercise that he was going through for for the character we have Dave Bautista, who who is taking acting lessons because he wanted to break away from the WWE, wanted to be a, a more serious actor, and, and actually apparently was quite overjoyed that, that he got this role. Subsequently, it's it seems like he's good that, that, that this time with this character is coming to an end, and more recently with some of the comments that have been made, but... Uh, at least initially, he w- he was really excited about playing the role, even so far as to then have to go through four or five hours worth of makeup uh, just to, you know, turn him the gray color that you see. And then they they had actually created these custom tattoos. They they took a like a, a mold of his body and yep. made these tat th- these like 13 full sized chest and back tattoos that 
that were supposed to represent like his family and and different things like this that he 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 couldn't sit down during mm-hmm. his makeup sessions and ended up having to rest his arms on these on these rails with tennis balls on them because he couldn't he couldn't sit down while this while this was getting applied to him and then at the end of the shoot he had 90 minutes to get that stuff off of him so it is it is absolutely crazy the amount of effort and work mm-hmm. and just just to get prepared for this the day of shooting and then and then have to go through and and deal with that after the fact as well huh that is crazy yeah and but i mean the tattoos are really cool also that they're they're that sort oh, yeah. of raised look i mean they've got a very right. three-dimensional look to them we actually saw him a couple of years ago at a convention in chicago talking about getting the job and and things like that and yeah he was he was obviously very appreciative of getting that it also seems he's a very sort of private guy a lot uh and he is not the sort of really big personality that he plays as a wrestler and as uh and as drax so it's kind of interesting that there is a lot of acting and good acting going on with dave batista to become drax as well so yeah we have zoe zaldana who was great. She, she actually was in Avatar. I didn't realize this, but was when asked about taking on the role of Gamora, she said she was excited to be joining, uh, excited to be asked to join by James Gunn and to also be playing someone green. <laughs> because I've been blue before, as in referencing uh, Avatar. And in fact, there's a, there was, a, there was talk about uh, you know some of those fight scenes with, with with her and Chris Pratt and how they were putting on like these like protection uh, suits so that when they're you know punching and kicking each other in that mm-hmm. that that you know it would it would protect them. Well, the day they actually filmed some of that stuff finally for the film, uh, Chris Pratt forgot his protection uh, around his rib cage. And she, he did not tell her because he didn't want her to like pull his her punches, and she kicked him and practically broke his ribs, and he had a bruise on 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 the side of it on the side of his chest for like the entire rest of filming. I guess is is the story that I read about that. That would have been during the first fight scene when they were uh, fighting over the in, in, over in the Zandar, orb. yeah, probably, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. I, I think everybody really did a nice job. It also did, you know, it was it's helpful in some ways that these were characters nobody really knew what to expect out of. But I I do think that if you go back and you know, like we read the comics, they did a good job of inhabiting the characters. With maybe the exception of the fact that Drax is wildly different from the Drax in the comic books. Both in terms of his origin story, uh, which originally he was a human in the comics, and in terms of like his appearance and everything else. Because he's not nearly as, you know, I would, nothing would ever go over my head, I'm too fast, I would catch it, or whatever. That is not what Drax in the comics would say, you know. Right. He, uh... 
he's a different he's a different class of of character but a beautiful job nonetheless all of the main characters it was it was interesting to see some of the supporting characters like glenn close and john c Riley in the same scenes together regularly is uh-huh. like like two very different you know branches of the acting community coming together <laughs> yeah but yeah nonetheless yeah. it was it was cool everybody everybody did a great job so yes i thought belicio del toro as the collector was great as well he 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 called the collector the Liberace of space, which I think he I think he hit pretty well there. If if that's what he was going for, I think he nailed it. Yeah, and th- and also there's people that you wouldn't even like uh, when we're watching the credits. Nathan Fillion was the guy who got his nose ripped off by Groot in the in the kill in the prison and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, so all sorts of little Easter eggs and and things like that. So I had one thing, by the way, that I did want to note from the very beginning of the movie. And that is that I think it's interesting that this may be one of the last ones. I'm going to be interested to watch it. That the actual credits still only features comic book drawings and comic book characters from the comics. They haven't started putting the actors in yet. Right. And I'm going to be interested. I'm going to be interested to see because I just noticed that when they start moving towards that because really that is a fundamental shift in the mcu is that iron man isn't tony stark in the credits at some point iron man is robert downey jr in the credits right yeah exactly yeah and and they still do have some comic pages and things like that but at a fundamental level the the Marvel universe gets big enough and they've got enough characters and, and people have associated them closely enough that they stop using the comic pages and start using their own universe as the, the cutscenes they show in the Marvel logo. And so, you know, it, it just reminded me how dangerous what they were doing was because I remember going into the theater the night this premiered. I think it, we, I mentioned it last week. Fully expecting this to be the first terrible Marvel movie of the modern age. That this was going to be a mess. Right? Because, like you said, we didn't know know Gunn very well. You know, I'd seen a couple of, of movies by him. I'd seen a few things. But he'd done, like, some horror stuff. He'd done a few things. Yeah. So one of the movies he'd done was Super. Which was kind of almost like a a parody of comic book movies so you kind of thought he might have a an interesting take but i don't know about for you but for me the 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 initial scene with the mom was sad so it set a little bit of a tone but then you get the credits and then when it comes out of that and you get the scene with him walking into the the thing with the music going kicking the rat and then there's that scene where the Guardians of the Galaxy logo comes up with him sort of in the foreground and walking through. And it just set the tone so perfectly. And you knew this was going to be something interesting and something good. And then from there, it was just really like nothing we'd seen from the Marvel Universe or any comic book movie really up to that point, from that point forward. Gunn really made something yeah. new, you know? 
Yeah. Let's talk about James Gunn because yeah, that was, that was definitely something that jumped out to me because yeah, we, we talked about it before we started recording that going into this film, I would not have known who James Gunn was. The, the, the things that he had his directing and writing credits before this, there wasn't, there was, I hadn't seen anything. His like his biggest film to that point was probably Slither, which is this horror film with like these, with these like leech like things, which by the way, ended up in the collector's stash of things. Uh, a little nod to Slither. These like slithering leech things were in one of the cases in the background. So a hat tip to his own uh, director directorial background there, but. There's a, like all these films, there's a big 20 minute featurette uh, talking about the the making of Guardians of the Galaxy. And and they talked to James Gunn a lot in in that film. And and one of the first things that he did going into this film was he wrote a 19 page document outlining what the look and feel of Guardians was going to be before, even before doing anything like script based he he wanted to have this franchise to have a specific look and feel to it that was different was similar but different in a lot of ways from anything else that marvel was doing and and was very keen on making sure that there were alien races that looked believable and didn't have like did, did didn't look like ridiculous he talked about um rocket the raccoon uh mm-hmm. you know he, there was a quote he talked about it he, he didn't want it to be bugs bunny in space you know that this was a this was a real creature that had been genetically altered and 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 manipulated and experimented on and it's a real being and it has thoughts and feelings and and things like that and there was just there was so much care and thought put into like the world building and the characters and the character development, as we've talked about, that it shows. And 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 like it, it definitely seems like, you know, he's familiar with like the source material, but can take liberties with the source material that still feel, you know, in in kind of. Uh, in the spirit of the source material, right? That 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 to me, I think, is the best. When like you don't have to be exactly the same, but if you're going to deviate, deviate in a way that it makes sense, based on the source material, and, and then you'll still have a, a product that people are going to love, even if they, whether they were familiar with the previous version or not. Yep, that that makes sense, and. And I will say that I think that that care is interesting when you look at not just the major characters, but even a lot of the secondary characters really are well fleshed out. You know, like yeah. Gunn's brother's character or uh, John C. Riley's character. Yeah. A lot of these don't have a lot of screen time. And even that ability to create the relationship between Quill and Yondu, they don't really share that much screen time. And yet you no. get a really good idea of 
the affection this guy actually has for the kid and why he doesn't kill him, even though he's this deadly ravager. Right? He, he keeps threatening him, but you know that, the, it, that yeah. basically that's all it is. It's, it's an idle threat when it all comes down to it. Yeah. And so there's, it's, it's just also nice because since this is the first Marvel cosmic movie, it set up the look and feel of the Kree and it set up the look and feel of sort of how some of the ships would maneuver and work and how, how space works in the Marvel universe in a lot of ways and just built this phenomenal sort of base upon which they could build all of these other future movies. Yeah, there is, there's a comment that I found that, that James Gunn actually talked about Iron Man being an influence in that, you know, they're start they're in the now second phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but this was really the first Marvel cosmic movie, as as you talked about, and so he felt like a lot of what they were doing with this movie was what they did with that very first Iron Man film, which was really kind of mm -hmm. setting the bar as to what Marvel cosmic movies could and and maybe should be, and and I think in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, he hit the nail right on the head there in that, because it, it, it obviously resonated because, uh, you know, you look at like the box office numbers and things like that. It, it, it was very well received, especially considering, you know, just how little probably most average moviegoers knew of these characters before going into the film. You know, and what you really saw there, and I think what Marvel took away from it, is the fact that by this point, people had started to buy into the brand and they'd started to buy into the Marvel logo so that they were not going to the movie because it was a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. They were going to it because it was a Marvel movie. Right. And they had that promise of this is all tied together. And they had the idea that we would had quite a bit of quality and they could trust it a little bit. And so now they're going to go and they're going to take a chance on something they don't really know. So, so one last thing we, we've talked about some of the characters, but I, I liked, there was a, a comment that James Gunn made about Groot that, that I, that I wanted to, to, to mention, which was that he says, all the guardians start out the movie as bastards, except Groot. He's an innocent. He's 100% deadly and 100% sweet. And he's just basically caught up in Rocket's life, really. And uh, it, he talked about the design and movement of Groot took a better part of a year to create. So th this is a guy who spent a lot of time thinking about these characters, this world, the, well, the universe, really. And, and it just, like I said, start to finish just kind of shows with the finished product that we ended up seeing and the, the, the subsequent films too. And, and, you know, it's, it's interesting that we, we talked about it before we started recording. He really did create the guardians of the galaxy because most people that know the guardians of the galaxy know the MCU version of the guardians of the galaxy. And I have to think in a lot of ways, one of the reasons he's now the head of DC is because of the work that he did here with Guardians of the Galaxy. He 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 started with basically almost nothing that nobody knew about 
and created something immensely popular and is very mainstream now. Nope. And it, a lot of bad things has happened, have happened at DC over the last few years, but I do think that Gunn being hired bodes really well because he does have this sort of attention to detail. He does love the characters. Also, if you look at his previous filmography and you look at a lot of the movies he's done since he has a bit of a dark sense of humor that I think is going to work really well at DC because a lot of the, a lot of the humorous moments here are, oops, I accidentally killed somebody in a really horrific way. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And Uh so I, I think that he's a really good fit for some of the, the edgier style that DC likes to do while hopefully bringing that back into a more mainstream way so that the DC brand can start to be something that audiences can depend on the way that they had started to depend on Marvel. And also, I worry as we move forward into the next couple of years, if all the movies Marvel's making these days, if that Marvel cachet is going to start to wane if they're not careful. Because this is heading into the golden days, right? Where everything Marvel made, made a billion dollars. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about the music because, again, I think one of the other unsung parts, though it actually has gotten quite a bit of praise, is oh yeah, is the 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 music choices throughout this movie and in fact this entire series. Uh, I, I think I've said that there is Marvel has done a good job in general of matching the music to to what's going on on the screen, whether it be the big screen or the small screen, actually, but. Guardians specifically, I think they've done an exceptionally good job. And and it's and it's it's really interesting because it's taken a lot of, you know, older stuff from the from like the 70s and stuff and really brought it back into the limelight. And in fact, it, it's interesting. The the awesome mix volume one, the the soundtrack of this film, reached number one on the Billboard top two hundred charts, despite uh, not having any original music on the soundtrack. That's the first time that's ever happened. And it was actually nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Soundtrack as well. And it's mm-hmm. and it's it it it, it feels like the movie. like I almost wonder like what came first, the the movie or the music, because it, it feels like a lot of this stuff is built almost for the music that ends up being paired with it. Because it, it is it is so amazing. You talked about the come on, get your love at the beginning from Redbone. Originally, that was going to actually be Hooked on a Feeling by Blue Suede. But it was written and they're like, you know, I think this other song would work better. Yeah. And so he switched it up and 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 now you just you watch it and it's just it's so perfect. It It, it just feels it feels just kind of great watching him just go in there, like you said, kicking the rats, you know, hitting the skeleton and, you know, dancing and, and singing and all that sort of stuff that he's doing throughout that. Yeah, this is, I, I don't know if there's a soundtrack I've ever listened to more than Guardians. My kids love this soundtrack. Yeah. We used to listen to yeah. it in the car all the time. I have very few soundtracks that I have, listen to more than 
20, 30, 40 times, and I know this would be one of them. And so, you know, the the music, possibly because a lot of these songs had sort of dropped out of popular culture because they were older, they were great songs, but they weren't songs that people maybe had a lot of of things that they connected them to as far as experiences or visuals. So many of these songs, when I listen to the soundtrack, I just see those parts of the movie now. And it yep. is yep, 100%, exactly. you know, if I hear that, da, 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 I just, that's <laughs> the Guardians of the Galaxy movie starts in my head, right? right. And so I, I think that it was a canny choice. And he's obviously got a spectacular ability to sort of understand the importance of music and of soundtrack. It is unusual they didn't do any of their own music. But I think that, that the nostalgia factor, especially for things like comics and the like, makes it something that using 70s, 80s music uh, rather than bringing in new stuff does make some sense. So it's also interesting that occasionally you see where it goes wrong and how it can go wrong. Uh, I don't know if you've watched the new Willow series by any chance that just came out. but Not, not as of yet. I watched it because I liked the old Willow and it's not great, but it's not terrible. But at the very end of it, they, they're kind of moving away um, out of whatever. And I won't tell you what the ending is, but they're ending the whole season and the end the season on a song that just did not work for me at all because the, the final song is money for nothing which has no, it has no context in which it makes any sense. And it's also a song that if you, if you play it in your head and you remember it from back in the day, it's got some lyrics in it that are not acceptable <laughs> for modern audiences. No. And this is a very sort of uh, like LGBTQ friendly series. And then they end it with that and I'm like, Someone did not yeah. get the right memo in terms of how to do things. Gun does not misfire that way. Every no. one of these songs just really perfectly hits to help keep the mood of the movie overall while really adding to and differentiating the scenes. So, absolutely love it. So, apparently there was... During an interview, he revealed that he compiled a list of songs from the '70s that that he wanted that he potentially wanted to use that he felt helped ground the film in reality while also providing a fun juxtaposition, and had actually narrowed it down to about 120 songs that he considered using for the film. And some of the scenes were filmed around the music as it played in the background. In fact, the Escape from Kiln had the Pina Colada song apparently playing as they were filming some of this stuff to the point where Chris Pratt was saying, if I ever hear Escape one more time, I, you know, he, 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 he's, he's good. He's heard, the, he's heard Escape enough that he doesn't need to hear it anymore. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, that would, that would make, that would make sense. I, I do think that, it's interesting, too, because, you know, in the comics, Peter Quill is not associated with the Walkman or with music or anything like that. But 
that was definitely something that he completely added into it and made a core part of sort of his his MCU character. Um, it's one of those you know small changes that makes a huge difference. So, yeah. So I feel like we have to talk about Thanos a little bit more. We we we've talked about him a little bit. This was kind of his big reveal. I mean, we we knew he was involved. We knew he was around, but this was this was the first Josh Brolin Thanos, and we got to see his face. We got to find out basically what he's doing in that he's trying to collect these infinity stones and the, this movie also is actually the first time we we finally get an explanation of what the infinity stones are as well the the collector actually goes through and shows us you know and tells us what the infinity stones are we see see an image of the tesseract we you know we see you know celestials which end up you know being important in the future with the eternals and all this sort of thing as well and and it was i was like now that i know who thanos is this is a huge moment to me because at the time i didn't know who he was or how big a deal he was going to become yep absolutely and yet it's still one of those things that they had to handle well because i mean it's it is a distraction from your whole movie to have to carry all of this information to the audience simply to set up future movies right yeah you know i mean that the infinity stone being the big bad is all fine but it wasn't just about this one stone it was about by the way there's the six of these and for those people who had been reading comics for a long time the fact that we're now seeing infinity stones and we're seeing thanos is like a massive blinking siren (laughs) red light (laughs) yeah we are going to have half the universe in danger in the very near future right so it was it was really well done by him because he was able to bring him in make him an important enough part of the story that people who weren't kind of previously knowledgeable about him got an idea how important this guy was but then shuffle him off and get the exposition out of the way to where it didn't really slow down the story that badly. Right. Yeah. It, it mm-hmm. was it was it was definitely masterfully done, I, I would say. In a way that some some of the later world building or story building elements maybe haven't been. Uh, I would for instance yeah. like the like the the parts of Black Panther that were setting up Thunderbolts with uh um, Julie Louis Dreyfus's character, I don't think worked nearly as well because you have a lot of these that just sort of slow down the story, and that's what could have happened if they'd have done it wrong. But uh, yeah, but he didn't. All right, so I've got some tidbits and some uh, references f- for for the comics that we could go through here that I that I think are fun and, and kind of interesting. Bring it on. Okay. So first is the the principal photography started July 6th, 2013 in London, uh, the United Kingdom. I love the working titles or the kind of the code names for these films. This one was called Full Tilt. That was, that was no. what it was. Uh, 
This film has 2,750 visual effects shots, which make up approximately 90% of the film. Two fully so, digital characters. That probably would yeah, be part of it. Yeah, that's uh, definitely definitely helped aid that that number. Uh, you mentioned Sean Gunn, who is actually the younger brother of James Gunn, who has who plays the character Craglin. He was actually the onset stand-in for for Rocket. He he had on the suit, and and was walking around as as Rocket that the uh, the characters were were acting to. And they didn't actually get Bradley Cooper signed on until very late in the development to do the voice of Rocket. So it, they knew Sean was not going to be doing the voice of Rocket, but he read the lines and did everything so that they could they 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 could film the film. And uh, I in the featurette, you actually see him walk, you know, in some of the scenes with the with the suit on and and walking like down on. Like almost like real short, and it it was just sort of sort sort of fun there. Uh, we we talked last week about the Badoon. Um, they mm-hmm. they are an often reoccurring uh, character enemies of the Guardians. They couldn't actually be used uh, in this film because they their rights belong to Twentieth Century Fox's Fantastic Four franchise. And so even though there were there were references to them and different things like that in the MCU, uh, they ended up having to use the Sakarans as, as to fill in the gap for, you know, it was it was Ronan's Sakaran army that helped helped him, uh, you know, potentially try to take down the the Xandar. Very interesting. Yeah. That all of the licensing stuff is just so messed up. I mean, the Badoon of it all is. things. It, it is. It is. So we had a Stan Lee cameo. He was, you know, the, the Xandar ladies man. But apparently one of the original ideas for him to appear was actually going to be in the collector's collection in Nowhere. And was actually going to flip off Groot from within a glass display case during during one of the scenes and in fact that scene may have even been shot but was ultimately cut uh in part because disney executives thought it was kind of inappropriate so they ended up making him the xandar ladies man is uh, instead and uh there you go so there's that uh we have we have star lord's ship is the milano that is Named after Alyssa Milano, who uh, Gunn says Peter Quill had a crush on as a young boy, and, and so that is that is why it is the Milano. I didn't remember all the references to Kevin Bacon in the movie Footloose, and so obviously that ends up being rather important as we come yep. to this holiday special here. But but there there are definitely some discussions about Kevin Bacon and Footloose that I did not remember from my initial viewings of this that suddenly it's like oh yeah they're talking a lot about kevin bacon and him being a hero in this town and saving them from the uh the people who with their sticks up their butts and that and that sort of thing so that 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 was kind of fun um lastly the 
on Morag when when uh, Peter's looking at the little projection as to to try and find the uh, the place where the where the sphere is at. Uh, there is a like he's seeing this like projection of civilization and this kid and a dog, and the dog is actually James Gunn's dog. Alrighty so then. It's it, it's just yeah, and his dog's name is Doctor Von Spears apparently. So obviously, why wouldn't it be? Yeah. Yeah. Good. So, so th- those were some interesting tidbits. I, I definitely highly recommend watching the featurette if you get a chance as well. There's lots of interesting stuff in there about uh, uh, about various scenes throughout the film, including a, a very nice kind of breakdown of the of the uh, the chaos that is the escape from the kiln, which which is actually uh, amazingly well well done. And, and a huge set that they had to had to build and then uh, you know extend with with CGI and that sort of thing. So. Yep. From as for comic book references, the comet the collector's room is full of comic book references. We had, you mentioned yes. with the dog that got loose. There there's a, a a Chitari in there. A dark elf is in there. Howard the Duck is in there. Who we end up seeing. In the mm-hmm. in the post credit scene as well, so so those are interesting. Uh, Dan, you talked about the the mugshot scenes and, and seeing all the stuff that is that is listed on those mugshots and all the all the references in there uh, during Rockups Rockets lineup scene. He his one of his also known as is Phil Avale, who is known as mm-hmm. Quasar uh, that we we saw last week. Um, we have, uh, he also on his mugshot, we have his home planet being half world, which we saw last week as well. And his associate is Layla, who is an otter love interest that, uh, that, that, uh, that we talked about a little bit last week as well. Yes. Um, He's fighting with Bucky over. Yes. Um, we have the Celestial from the, the discussions of the of the stones. Obviously that was that was that was important as well. There's Peter's lady friend, Barit, who he forgot was in the in the ship at the very beginning. She's actually yes. in the comics as well. And last but not least, in the broker's shop, when when there's the back and forth between Peter and the broker, in the background, there's actually an artifact that references the Universal Church of Truth, which is definitely uh, something we saw last week in, in the comics as well. So Okay, I missed that. I have never heard about that. I don't know. It's a, it's in a glass case, and there it's like this circlet thing with like this. I will now. Like I've got to go back and watch the movie again. Thanks. So yeah, uh, it's awesome. This this is one thing that it it can go a little far, and I think it sometimes has gone a bit far. But this was the first Marvel movie that really just just showered us with Easter eggs and weird little things like this, and it was a lot of fun. So I, I remember going back and pouring through all sorts of different things. So that was actually a lot of, that was a lot of fun. Yeah.
All right, Dwayne. I think we've reached that point. It is the face-off. So, we read yes. some comics this last week. Actually, quite a few pretty decent ones. Um, I'm going to let you uh, let you start out with the, the Guardians. Well, actually, we had Guardians of the Galaxy 2008, 2013, and 2020. And you said 2020 were actually your favorites. So, yes. of any of those three, whichever one, I'll let you pick. What do you think did it better, the uh, the comic books or the film? I, I'm sorry, the comic book was great, but the only reason I gave the comic book the light of day was because I watched the movie. The, the movie was my introduction. I, I didn't even go and see it in the theater. I, I saw it on DVD after it was released later on, and I I... I I don't even know why I watched it because I didn't know any of those characters going in, but I did. And I was so pleasantly surprised at how great the film was. It, it literally did kind of, I think cement me as being somebody that would watch superhero or comic book movies going forward. It was like, if they can do this with a character I have never heard of. You know, I've watched Spider-Man movies. I've watched Batman movies. I've watched, you know, all sorts of movies that, that from, from very well-known characters, but I hadn't really watched a ton of movies from like, you know, further down the list of, or further down the stable of, of characters. And this movie just, it, it opened my eyes to the idea that, hey, there is there is really just this huge world of characters here. And they are just as interesting and can be, in a lot of ways, actually more interesting than some of those big characters I had actually heard of. And so I the books were great. There was some really interesting stories being told. But I, I the, the movie just to me, hands down, is is why I, I, I'm, I'm watching or reading any of it. Yeah, I think that, you know, there are a number of things where we can, as, as comic fans, argue that the source material really set everything up and, and it, uh, it needs all the credit. And when you read the comics, I mean, obviously, the basis for these characters and a lot of the relationships and interactions in the universe was all set back in the comics but the marvel cosmic universe as a whole had really never resonated with most folks and i believe that even among comic fans guardians of the galaxy the movie was more popular than all of the marvel cosmic books put out in the 40 years before it because yeah. captain marvel was okay but it had trouble like the original captain marvel Marvel, you know, had trouble keeping an audience. The Guardians never really stuck. Uh, stuck. Nova, Rom, Space Knight, all these other books kind of came. They they stuck around for a while and they went away. And then, ever since Guardians of the Galaxy, the a lot of and it was happening in the later two thousands as well. You know, Guardians had gotten a couple of of books and some of the others were around more, but really since this movie and since the MCU has started focusing more on the cosmic stuff through infinity war and the like, I just think that 
it's the first time really the cosmic universe in the comics has been taken seriously. So, yeah, I would I would have to agree on this one. I love this movie. I think it's probably, other than maybe Iron Man, the one that I've watched the most of the MCU movies. Because I will happily go back and just watch this. Just listen to the music and... You, can, you don't have to pay a lot of attention even if you don't want to. If you watched it a few times, you can just put it on if you're if you're having a bad day and you will be having a less bad day after about a half hour of Guardians. So that that music soundtrack, I've listened to the music soundtrack so many times. Oh. It is, it is just crazy. And, and it doesn't tire and I don't tire of it either. That's the other thing that's crazy is that you know, mm-hmm. sometimes you you overlisten the music and you tend to be like, uh, and then you don't listen to it for, for like a long time. It, I never feel like I've tired of that, of that soundtrack. Nope. So this is, this is one I will, uh, I will happily make the, uh, make the admission that the Guardians movie not only was better than the comics up to that point, but really proved something to the Marvel executives and to a lot of us fans in terms of the ability of characters that weren't previously known to be able to really connect with audiences and not just survive, but thrive. This thing made a lot of money, you know, and it made a lot of fans. So great stuff. All right. So where are we headed to next week, Dan? All right, so what we're doing next week is we are finishing up the second phase of the Marvel Universe. We've done Iron Man 3, Thor Dark World, Captain America Winter Soldier, which were all sort of the second or third movies in the big players' arcs. Then we got Guardians, and now we're going to go in and see Avengers Age of Ultron. Technically, Ant-Man actually finishes out phase two, but... As far as most of these things go, the real the real big ending of Phase 2 is Avengers Age of Octoban. So what we need to do is read a few comic books that are going to prepare you for that and get us ready to go. So, surprise, surprise, we are going to be reading Age of Ultron and seeing what you think of some of that and how it works out. Alright, so the Age of Ultron miniseries is actually from 2013, so it was largely parallel to these movies. It's hard to believe that when, like, Bendis and Hitch were writing these comic books, they didn't know that there was a movie coming out by the same name that had already probably been <laughs> announced, right? Because really, you have you have the Avengers: Age of Ultron movie in 2015. You have the Avengers: Age of Ultron comics come out in 2013. It takes more than two years to make a movie. So unless there's just no right. communication whatsoever between the studio and the comic <laughs> company, these were these were produced in concert with some of that. So we're going to see a lot of characters that you've already seen before and the like, but we're definitely going to be functioning mostly taking a look just directly at the 10 issues of Age of Ultron itself. And then there are some other tie-in books I'm going to have you read the first ever appearance of Ultron so you get a little bit of an idea who he was back in the day in the Avengers comics. But other than that, unless you want to, I'm not going to make you read the tie-ins. I'm going to put them out there because there's 10 issues of Age of Ultron and then there are 
eight or so tie-in books and an epilogue. So, reading Age of Ultron <laughs> to get ready for Age of Ultron. And we'll see. That... It's it's not the same story. Let me just uh, let me just tell you that. You will you will okay. be seeing some very different characters, some very different ideas between the two of them. So that that should be interesting. I had no idea who Ultron was before going and seeing that film. I I remember liking the film, but I know it has not necessarily been given kind of the best of it, it's not considered one of the better avengers movies let's just put it that way i think part of that is the fact that over the last few years the director has increasingly become more persona non grata around geek circles and sure. a lot of the stuff he's touched has sort of ended up being sort of looked at with a different eye as well Plus, there are parts of it that aren't the greatest movie. So, there you go. Sure. But nonetheless, we'll uh, we'll see what you think. I actually liked Age of Ultron as a movie. The comic books are fun, too. We'll see what you think. I think this is going to be an interesting one for the face-off. And maybe, um, I don't know if any of you would be interested. I was thinking we also should maybe start posting a poll when we do this. So, I was thinking maybe we'll do that sure. this week. I'd like to find out what everybody else thought with some of these. So this might be a uh, pretty much a, a bad one to start with because it'll probably be 150 to two or something in favor of the in in favor of the movie. We'll we'll put up a poll to see. Uh, you could let us know which one you like better: the Guardians comics or the Guardians movie. So say that is a fantastic idea. And that's going to wrap it up for us for this week. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. If you have some thoughts on Guardians of the Galaxy, whether it's the comic books or the movie or anything else comic book related, we'd love to hear it. You can interact with us on social media via Twitter. We are at Comics Over Time. You can also be reached via email. That address is comments at comicsovertime.com. Dan, it was great watching Guardians of the Galaxy again after some time away. Fun, fun movie. And I, I'm very interested in seeing what Ultron looks like in the comics. He's changed over time. But uh, yeah, you'll you'll definitely recognize him. Let's put it that way. So, all right been fun have a great week everybody and we will talk to you again uh next next wednesday i guess until then take care everybody